quick scouts phoned about the humidor. And pick your milk for breakfast cereal, Mount Rushmore. They'll be there for you. There's a non-zero chance. First base is terrible. And welcome to 2019, everybody. We're going to take a look at Scott White's early first base rankings, the top 12. And I would say much more, but not really that much more, to be quite honest with you. It's going to be mostly that. Uh, some news and notes. <laughs> there There was a trade. It was a crazy trade. Scott, Malik Smith got traded. What? Back to back from whence he came. Yeah. A brief layover in Seattle going from Atlanta to Tampa. Well, he's back in Seattle. Can I, can I just... Get one thing clarified. Uh-huh. It is not 2019. Well, it almost is. No. No, it's a month and a half away. But we're looking Give ahead. Give you the most generous reading. You're 50 days off, Adam. <laughs> so, you know, I want everybody to sit there on pins and needles at the start of each show thinking, is Chris on? Is Chris on? Today I'm he's so on. so sorry to disappoint. He's on. No, they like you, Chris. They like you. I like you. I like Chris. Uh What did you say before... <laughs> Do you really like me, Adam? I do, yes. Because I was in New York City this week, and you know who wasn't? Me. Adam Azer. He fled. Oh. He heard I was going to be there. That's what I wanted to make fun of Chris for. Chris has, like, a little bit of time to explore New York City. Are you going to make fun of me for going to the Met? Yeah, you dork. Who goes... The, likes, mo- the, the most famous museum in the United States of America? That's what, that's, that's the burn you're going with? Yeah, what a, like, what a dork. Who goes to a museum? Cultured people, Adam. People <laughs> who want to see paintings by Van Gogh and <laughs> Cezanne. Alright, I saw lots of paintings. I love an art museum. <laughs> love an art museum. You should have gone to the, like, the movies. They have great movie theaters. In New York City. <laughs> here's our, uh, here's our tweet of the day. I'm gonna Ghostbusters 2. That- the Statue of Liberty? Yes. Walking. I did. I walked like five miles. It was great. Good. I just left my hotel and started walking. Yeah, okay. Then, then it's acceptable to make a quick stop at the Met on the way to the Statue of Liberty. I, I don't think he got my Ghostbusters 2 reference to you. I, I did. Never- Where they, with the slime and the Statue of Liberty comes to life? Yeah, yeah. The Statue of Liberty is that's better than a stationary Statue of Liberty. Come on, that's a movie that's based on the High Sea Guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> the High Sea Guy, Ecto Cooler. Uh, all right. So anyway, um, tweet of the day is Ecto Cooler is disgusting. From Baxter Jones, are there any top trade targets you'd be looking at in dynasty leagues right now, Scott White? Well, this is always a difficult question to answer because you don't know exactly what qualifies as an under-the-radar prospect in your particular league. Uh, I would assume the big-name prospects are well-known and nobody's parting with them if it's a true dynasty league. Uh, but having done some prospect research here over the last couple weeks, um, I got a few names for you. Okay. I think Nathaniel Lowe of Tampa Bay, first baseman, really came on last year and uh could actually be up this year. He's he made it all the way to triple A and just crushed it at every level. Um added power that seems to be legit. I like him a lot. Uh I think another Rays player, Rays actually have a really deep farm system. 
Vidal Brujan, a second baseman in the race system, who gets on base a ton, very fast, steals a lot of bases, and is young enough that you could see him developing power. I think the ceiling's pretty high for him. Another young player who is probably years away in the national system, Luis Garcia. Um, the numbers don't blow you away, which is why I think maybe you could get him for less than he's worth. The scouts are super high on him. It feels like there may be like a Robinson Cano type profile there for Luis Garcia. And then I'll throw one more name at you, Nolan Gorman of the Cardinals. He was their first round pick last year, but only 19th overall, I think, and showed a ton of power in his uh, rookie league performance. And he's supposed to have a ton of power, supposed to be a middle-of-the-order bat, already making good on that, Nolan Gorman. All right, can you read the four names again? Yes. The one who is close to contributing is Nathaniel Lowe of the Rays, a first baseman. And then the three who are further away, Vidal Brujan, second baseman for the Rays, is V-I-D-A-L. Nolan Gorman, third baseman for the Cardinals, and a shortstop in the Nationals organization, Luis Garcia. Can you spell the first names of all of them or just Vidal? (laughs) (laughs) I thought the others were self-explanatory. All right. Thank you very much, Scott White. So uh, I want to get into the first base just a little bit, and we'll get into it more a little bit later. So I tried to do something something hot, something controversial, something that the people were going to remember, water cooler talk kind of stuff. Scott White's most egregious first base ranking. Ooh. You know what, Chris Towers? I couldn't really find anything, but here's one. Scott White, that jerk, has <laughs> jerks in Profar. As his number 11 first baseman, Chris. Can you believe that? And he was actually 8th in points and 12th in Roto. So it's completely ridiculous, Chris Towers. Jerks and Profar <laughs> is Scott's number 11 first baseman. That seems eminently reasonable to me, Adam. Yeah, I know. It is pretty reasonable. It, that, I, I will Stop say, stoking like, the flame that doesn't exist. If you stoke a non-existent flame, you know what you get. Dust flying everywhere. I will say, like, Jerks and Profar, Profar. Number 11. It's gross. <laughs> like, he had guess, like a 793 yeah. OPS last season, I think. Is that the math? Like, okay, he doesn't walk. He walks a decent amount. He doesn't strike out very much. He'll run a little, but like, really? Yeah, that's, that dude that's kind of is what a I... top 12? Yeah, right, exactly. Well, part of it is because, it, you know, you're surprised. It is surprising how high he finished at, at everywhere he's eligible, not just first base. Uh, but part of it's I think he's going to get better. I think I think he was one of the unluckiest hitters in baseball last year, which may seem kind of strange since it was his best season by far. But uh, really low BABIP in a way that doesn't make sense. Okay. I, I guess, you know, the nice thing about Profar, he's eligible at first, third, and short. He played 10 games at second base last year, so it's certainly reasonable that he could become eligible at some point in the season at second base. And he's good in points leagues. He hits a lot of uh, doubles and triples, 35 doubles, 6 triples in 146 games. He has a good walk-to-strikeout ratio. I'm assuming, Scott, you have Profar higher in points than Roto? Not at first base. It's the same at first base, but at other positions, yes. Okay. All right, yeah, so we'll dig into it a little bit deeper there, but that's just do you do you think he's a high upside guy? 254 batting average with 20 home runs and 10 steals. 
Is he a high upside guy or just kind of a steady guy? I, I, I think it remains to be seen. I think if the downside is who he was last year, obviously that's still a valuable player. But this is a, a guy who, when he was 2021, was considered the best prospect in baseball and it's dealt with injuries since then. Uh, last year was the clearest sign of him living up to that potential. And like I said, he had, he did it in spite of bad luck. So I, I don't think we've, I don't think we've seen the best of Profar. I'd be reluctant to say he's going to be a total stud in fantasy. But like I said, this is the downside. It's pretty darn good. And that's kind of where we're at with, uh, with first base. I mean, I, I guess if I'm drafting, drafting somebody to be a top 12 first baseman in typical years, I'm expecting a lot of home runs, a lot of run production, but I, I'm, I don't know. And the funny thing is, like, I feel like, Profar eligible at first, third, and short. Totally conceivable that somebody would actually use him at first base. Uh, whereas that just would not have happened in, in previous years, I guess. Yep. No. no, I'm definitely on board with the first base's weak argument after resisting it for a long time. I think it's the third weakest position in fantasy. You got catcher, obviously, followed by second base and then first base. <laughs> That's amazing. So, so where's Profar in your shortstop rankings? Uh, let me pull those up. Uh, he's, he's 11th at first base. So in points leagues, he's also 11th. In Roto, I'm going to guess he's 12th. 12th. Um, yeah. And like in, right. in years past, this was a position that you might have seen 12 guys go in the top 100. Yeah. He's 13th in Roto, not 12th. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's a lot of the difference between shortstop and first base in terms of depth. Tenth in my shortstop rankings is Corey Seager, who people were drafting as early as what round three last year. Yeah. Ninth is Carlos Correa, who people were drafting in round one last year. So there's just so many studs at shortstop now. And, yeah, and there, there isn't a first base. All of them are getting old. You look at the first base ADP from last year. The top six were all, they're all probably top six now. But then you look at number seven, Reese Hoskins. He's not first base eligible. Number eight, Edwin Encarnacion continuing to decline. Buster Posey, I mean, catcher, but still not going to be drafted in the top 60 again. Will Myers, not first base eligible, right? He is third in outfield. Yep. Uh, Not first. Daniel Murphy, nobody's drafting him in the top 75. Eric Hosmer was 81. Miguel Cabrera was 84. Miguel Sano was 89. The position has just, it's taken a real hit. And guys that we were hoping would break out, guys like Matt Olson or, or Justin Smoke even sustaining his 2017 breakout, they haven't made that leap yet. Chris, how old are you? I'm 30 years old. American. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? You're, you look, you're old. You look old, dude. Okay. Wow. Have you ever, Chris, have you ever looked at a photo of yourself from five years ago and thought, damn, I looked young. What happened to that guy? Where did all these wrinkles come from? What's going on with my skin? Have you thought about that? I do. I do moisturize now. Yeah, well, it's not enough. Most guys don't do nearly enough for their skin, despite all it does for them. Soap and water, it's not enough to prevent aging. Moisturizing, get out of here. You need to go to forhims.com. People, you want to want to get that youthful look back? Go to forhims.com. 
slash FBTSkin. All right, it's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash FBTSkin. Now, before I tell you more about this, what I want you to do, especially you, Chris, the youngest guy here, no, all of us, go to forhims.com slash FBTSkin. Just go to the website, take a look, peruse. Don't worry about the offer just yet, but take a look at just what Hims is all about. This is a one-stop shop for skincare, hair loss, and sexual wellness for men. But we've got a great offer for you. Hims has an anti-aging kit. It's a custom prescription cream tailored to your skin that can keep your skin looking youthfully smooth by reducing the appearance of wrinkles and fine lines. The secret's not a secret. It's tretinoin, and its results are backed by science. This can renew and restore, restore skin by increasing collagen, and that's the protein that keeps your skin firm. And you don't have to go to a dermatologist or wait online at the, the doctor or pay high prices to get it. Go to forhims.com slash fbtskin. Order now and save 20 bucks off your first month of the Hims anti-aging kit. Lock in those looks now and get your first month of an anti-aging, of anti-aging for $20 off. Go to forhims.com slash fbtskin. One more time. Forhims.com slash fbtskin. Didn't mean to pick on either, Chris. I'm older than you are, and I look it. Gary Sanchez is younger than all of us, but he had shoulder surgery. A little bit of conflict about whether or not this actually affected his 2018 production. He says no. Aaron Boone said, yeah, maybe. But Aaron, uh, Gary Sanchez had shoulder surgery. Uh, meanwhile, the Rays acquired Mike Sanino, outfielder Guillermo Heredia, and pitcher Michael Plasmeyer from the Mariners. They gave up Malik Smith and outfielder Jake Fraley. So, Chris, value up, down, or the same for Malik Smith? It's probably the same. Uh, I don't think – he's not necessarily the type of player who's going to be impacted greatly by a change in park, and I don't think this is a big change in park for him anyway. He's going from bad hitter's park to maybe a slightly better hitter's park, but – not one where we're going to see this big increase in power for him. Um, I, I just, I hope he continues to run. That's the big thing. He started running in the second half, especially last season, a ton. Uh, I like the skill set. He's got pretty good plate discipline. Last year, he finally figured out how to hit the ball with at least enough authority that he wasn't, uh, totally unplayable. He can be a really good roto option. Um, and you you yeah. you figure that'll be a better o- offense than the one he was playing in in Tampa. So hopefully, well, I'm not sure because they're 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 well, Nelson about Cruz is a, yeah Nelson Cruz is a free agent. So th- there's there's yeah. definitely some questions there. But I do think it's good news just from the in the respect that the, the the Mariners just gave up their starting catcher to get him right. They they clearly value Malik Smith in a way I wasn't completely sure the Rays did. And when you had Austin Meadows knocking on the door. Is it possible he could have bumped Smith out of the lineup at times had he stayed with the Rays? Well, now they both have jobs, so it's I, I think it's a I think it's good news for both of them. And um, you know, Smith is probably a, a mid-round pick, certainly in Roto, and uh, I, I think he probably deserves to be drafted in in three outfielder points leagues too. Meadows is going to go a little later, but there's certainly upside there. I think my reaction to this was like for the Rays, why? It seems like they had stumbled on something pretty impressive with Malik Smith. He stole 40 bases. He improved as a hitter. He batted 296 uh, with 47 walks and 98 strikeouts. Pretty good. Um, he was a really stellar fantasy option, even in points leagues. 
and they traded him for a catcher who strikes out a ton who's going to hit 200. I have more to say about Zanino, but I just I wonder like maybe Malik Smith just had his best year as a hitter and he's just not that good and the industry knows that. I don't know. It just it just seemed like a low haul for him. Uh I I don't know that I I didn't see it that way. I thought you know, I it see Malik Smith is so good defensively that it complicates things, right? Like you could make an argument for him to stay in the lineup just because of defense. Well, but in terms of what he brings offensively, it's kind of a he's kind of a ill-fitting part in today's game. And starting a starting caliber catcher as fantasy owners know is really hard to find. Zunino's considered a good defender, I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he is, but but he, um, other than that, he's not a starting caliber catcher really oh he's definitely a starting caliber catcher yeah. he hits Look, 200 I, I, I think the rays needed to trade someone in their outfield you know kevin kiermeyer when he's healthy obviously one of the best center fielders in baseball tommy fam really good and they want to play austin meadows so they kind of had to move someone and right. i think that's ultimately what it comes down to is that just they looked at their their collection of outfielders and figured this guy was the most expendable. Now, maybe I don't agree. I think Austin Meadows, I'm not sure he can play. But they would rather, I think that's ultimately what it comes down to, is they would rather see if Austin Meadows can do it than Malik Smith. And they also have Brandon Lau, who, you know, they they have Joey Wendell, who they like a lot at second base. So where does that leave Brandon Lau, who looked great at the end of last season? Nathaniel Lowe, who I mentioned, could bump Jake Bowers to the outfield. Yeah. They have they have a lot of outfielders even after trading Smith. Okay, so and look, Guillermo Heredia is not no slouch either. I mean, he probably doesn't deserve to start anywhere, but he's he's going to get some playing time. What I wanted to say about Zanino is uh, he was the top eight catcher in 2017. He had a really bad year in 2018, although he he hit home runs, but batted 201 again. Um, he had a spring training injury. He got hurt right before the start of the season, and he said it hurt his production. So maybe there's a little bounce back there for Zanino, um, which could be appealing in Roto Leagues. According to Buster Only, the Cubs could trade Chris Bryant. Um, well, that's something we'll have to track, but that would be quite blockbustery. The Pirates signed Jung-Ho Gong to a one-year $3 million deal. He didn't play much last year. And Hyunjin Ryu signed his one do- one year seventeen point nine million dollar qualifying offer with the Dodgers. Uh, and then one more note from ESPN.com's David Schoenfield. He said about Ronald Acuna, Acuna's five fifty two slugging percentage in his age twenty season was the sixth best ever. The five in front of Acuna with slugging percentage in their age twenty season: Mel Ott, Alex Rodriguez, Ted Williams, Mike Trout. And Frank Robinson. Now do the same for Juan Soto in age 19 seasons. <laughs> it's nobody, I believe. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. Not, I think it's like Mel Ott was the only player who was even close to him as a 19-year-old. Not that I'm saying it should have been Soto instead of Acuna. Acuna was better, but I, Chris was making the argument on Twitter that in some ways Soto was Soto's was more historically significant. I think it's true. Soto Popinski. That's my uh, team name for next year, Soto Popinski. Why? Oh, jeez. What, what's the matter with you? It's Punch Out. You don't know oh, Punch cool. Out? 
Soda I'm sorry, Poppy. I don't remember that specific reference from the 30-year-old video game. <laughs> Older than you. My bad. Soda Popinski was uh, the best character in Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Let's, uh, let's take a look at Scott White's first base rankings. You can see them on the website on cbssports.com slash fantasy. Here we go. And, Chris, the best way to take a look at Scott White's rankings is, of course, without Scott White, who is experiencing <laughs> technical difficulties. So Chris and I are going to take this one home. We need music. I'm just trying to get Chris excited. Chris yeah, is, oh, yeah. This yeah. is great. Chris is not. He's just not feeling it. All right, so here... Here are Scott's rankings. Yeah. These are points rankings. Ooh. Paul Goldschmidt, one. Freddie Freeman, two. Anthony Rizzo, three. How do you feel about that order? Goldschmidt, Freeman, Rizzo. It's This speaks to the the place that the position is relative to where it's been that I don't think – I think Goldschmidt and Freeman particularly are – right in the same tier, and I think they're both probably second-tier hitters overall. Yeah. Goldschmidt Goldschmidt in a points league for sure was much more than that after the first month of the season. He was terrific. Uh, that said, you know, there are some signs of maybe some decline. And then Freeman, like, that. My, my first question for Scott was, is Freddie Freeman an elite player? So you can pretend to be Scott and answer that question. Is Freddie Freeman, you just said he's a second-tier hitter. Um, what happened to the home runs? You know, he, he's pretty awesome. Should I do a Scott impersonation? Sure. <laughs> he's, um, well. <laughs> all right. That's all. That's all I can do. Cause it's just, he's talk slow. I can't really do anything else. That's all <laughs> that's I know. That's great. Uh, um, is Freddie Freeman still an elite hitter? It, it's an interesting question. And I'm trying to filibuster so I can pull up his numbers. I think no, he's really had one a season and a is, half. This is a great Scott impression without even. He's trying. really he, he's had a season and a half as a truly elite player. And what I mean by that is he's always been able to hit for power. He's always had pretty good plate discipline. But 2016 and then 2017, at least before the wrist injury in 2017, he had emerged as a legitimate contender for a top five overall hitter spot because he was hitting for power. He steals bases now a little bit, six, eight, ten over his last three seasons. But the difference is 2016, he had 34 homers. 2017, he had 28. And that was in 117 Yeah, he was games. on pace for like 36 home runs that year. And it was before, you know, really before he suffered that wrist injury when he said, it feels like I'm swinging a newspaper, I think was the quote at the end of the season. He played through it, uh, but he probably shouldn't. And one thing that I think we've seen when it comes to those wrist and hand injuries is sometimes it can take a full year beyond to get past them. And so that's my question with Freddie Freeman. He certainly has the talent to be an elite hitter. He just has to get back to the 35 homer uh, pace. And if he does, then yeah, I don't think there's any question he's an elite hitter. It's just... There's enough question there for me that I would take him after Goldschmidt, and I would probably drop him, you know, closer to the the second round, you know, maybe middle second round, rather than the early late first, early second. We were taking him last year. Sure, but I I do think that it just needs to get those home runs up. It, it, for whatever reason, he hit a lot fewer fly balls last year. Well, the reason is he hit a, a ton of line drives. He hit 32 percent of his batted balls were line drives. 
So his ground ball rate drops almost 10 points, but his, or his fly ball rate drops almost 10 points. His ground ball rate actually only goes up 1.5%. Mm. And so, you know, obviously home fly balls, we do home runs divided by fly balls, but really a, a line drive can be a fly ball too. Okay. Um, so he still hit the ball in the air and that's important. Um, just the home run rate went down and the fly ball rate yeah. went down, but, but he's still, he's so good. Um, so I, I still feel pretty good about though all three of them. I mean, I don't think Rizzo is old by any means. You know, he had a down year. He was the most consistent player in fantasy. You could argue he and maybe Chris Davis before that. I, I don't really see a reason that he, that he, I, I don't see a reason why that wasn't just a bad year, just a blip for Anthony Rizzo. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about their hitting coach and Chili Davis. Coming out, he got fired and saying, hey, guys have to make adjustments. Pitchers aren't pitching to launch angles anymore. They're going in a different direction. Maybe it just wasn't a good fit with Chili Davis last year, and some of their hitters really underachieved. Yeah, and what was it? Like Chris Bryant has said that they were – it was all about trying to hit the ball to all fields right. was the approach and that they, they wanted. And they and did do that, but it, but it backfired, I think, in a production standpoint. Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily what you want. Um, I – I want, when I'm looking at this position, I think I want one of these first three guys or I want Joey Votto. I, I do much too. It. I want Joey Votto for sure. And, and Votto, by the way, is not next in the rankings. Matt Carpenter is. He's fourth. Um, and, and Heath has him second, which is interesting. And now Heath's rankings are updated? Yes. Oh, apparently they are. Look at that one day ago. Um, yeah, so Heath has him second. That's probably just in points leagues. I am a little nervous about Carpenter. I think you have to be. Anytime someone's, I think just as a general rule, if someone's coming off the best season of their career, especially as a 33 or 34 year old, you probably don't want to draft them at cost. Uh, and that's what you're going to have to do with Matt Carpenter. And that's not to say that I think Matt Carpenter's not excellent. I think he's really, really good, but uh, you know, I, I'm not sure if Matt Carpenter became a different player last year. He, I, I think he had the the top range of his outcome, and I'm not going to draft him at that. I'm going to pass on him where you're going to where you're going to have to take him. All right, Scott, welcome back. Thank you. Scott's back for ten minutes, then he has to go. By the way, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, my second question then, um, and you could talk about why you have Carpenter ranked ahead of him. Is Joey Votto done? Is Joey Votto done? He was 12th in points, 21st in Roto last year. He had 12 home runs. Scott, is Joey Votto done? I don't think so. I, um, I went, I, uh, I, I think if there's anybody who you could trust to bounce back, it's him, especially since he basically broke, broke it down himself. The way he described it in September was that he anticipated a, a skills decline was coming that that didn't actually come. And so he kind of adjusted his swing prematurely, his fly ball. It, it's, it's kind of the same thing you were talking about with the Cubs. Like he stopped hitting fly balls at the rate he normally hits them. So, of course, his home run total fell down, but. Uh, dropped, but it, it turns out he was hitting the ball as hard as ever, so he didn't need to do that. The fact he recognized that, and the fact he has a history of of successful self assessments, uh, that's something he's done frequently over the years, and and actually backs up what he's saying. 
Uh, he's old. He's had his share of injuries over the years too. So I'm not, I, I don't think it's a slam dunk he bounces back, but there's, there's definitely hope there. Okay. So it's Scott's top five, Goldschmidt, Freeman, Rizzo, Carpenter, and Votto. And then we have Jose Abreu at six. Yeah. What happened to him? What happened to Jose Abreu? Um, Bad year for him. Yeah, I don't, I mean, obviously he had the, uh, what was it? Was it a hernia or an appendectomy? Something abdominal at the end of the season. Well, he also that, had an uh, infection. Um, I know that. Okay, so he had a few things going on. <laughs> it's fair to say he wasn't at his healthiest. But, uh, I mean, the, in terms of the, the bat at ball profile, it was basically what we're used to seeing from Jose Abreu. I think it was just... Uh, one of those weird situations where like everything that, everything that could go wrong in terms of law of averages did, like he had his worst BABIP ever in a way that's hard to explain. He had his worst home run to fly ball, well, one of his worst home run to fly ball rates ever in a way that doesn't make a lot of sense either. I, I think he's fine. I think he'll bounce back and I, I think it was just it was a it was a version of Jose Abreu and it was on the lower end of what you physics range of expected outcomes is. Uh, th- this is a thing that I, I I would love to figure out a way to to represent more when we do stuff like projections within our fantasy product or or stuff like that is highlighting these range of expectations because when we look at and I'll, I'll throw Matt Carpenter out there again Matt Carpenter and Jose Abreu is kind of mirror images. I don't necessarily think Jose Abreu was a dramatically worse player in 2017 or 2018, and I don't think Matt Carpenter was a dramatically better player. I think we saw a kind of reasonable end of their expectations, and then you can throw Christian Yelich in there as another guy who probably had close to his best-case scenario season in 2018, and that just that sometimes happens. Okay, and couple- it's not necessarily indicative. Like Joey Votto, there are reasons beyond that, but I think the these guys can largely be explained by variation. And then Abreu does have, you know, some some physical factors beyond that should not linger into twenty eight nineteen. Okay, so let's let's take a little. We're basically going to focus on the top twelve here. We'll go a little bit deeper. So, uh, it's Goldschmidt, Freeman, Rizzo, Carpenter, Votto, Abreu, top six. Let's how about seven, eight, and nine. Cody Bellinger, Jesus Aguilar, and Edwin Encarnacion. Cody Bellinger, Jesus Aguilar, Edwin Encarnacion. Next question for Scott. Is Cody Bellinger bouncing back from a sophomore slump? By ranking him this high, I'm obviously saying he is. Uh, it, maybe not all the way back, but, you know, he wasn't the seventh best first baseman on a per game basis or otherwise last year. So to rank him that high, I obviously think that, uh, you know, this, what the version we saw in 2018 wasn't, wasn't what we should expect to see going forward. Like he's already, he was nearly a 40 homer guy as a 21 year old rookie and he still has that power pro- profile in terms of elevating the ball, hitting it hard, pulling it. Like he should have hit more home runs than he did and I think I think his bad ball profile will play out that way more going forward. Do you think, How about this? Do you think, well, do you think Cody Bellinger is an everyday player or does he sit against lefties? Let me get his, his splits real quick. His OPS. Well, he, 
He literally played every day. Okay, but not uh, in the on playoffs. On the Dodgers, who? <laughs> but not in the playoffs, and he batted 226 with a 376 slugging percentage against lefties. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. He can play center field. Um, so he's not, we think of him as a first baseman, but he's not limited defensively. He plays a premium defensive position and probably will more often than not now that Max Muncy's in the mix. So that'll help keep him in the lineup. Like he, he's not as good against left-handers as Max Muncy was and presumably is. And yet he was always getting the start over Muncy against left-handers. So, Particularly because a lot of the Dodgers right-handed bats are leaving this offseason. The biggest being Manny Machado and Brian Dozier, presumably. Um, they're not going to have as many options and Cody Bellinger for most of the season wasn't really somebody they considered sitting. How, how about this? Are you ready for this one? Are your, your boxes ready for this? I'm ready. Bring I'm it. Ready. Cody Bellinger should be the number four first baseman heading into next season. Woo! Bold. So ahead especially, of your boy Votto? especially, especially in roto leagues. Ahead of your boy Votto. Yes. He stole 14 bases last season and I see no reason why he couldn't do that again. Now he's not going to go 14 for 15 again, but he stole 10 and 480 at bats the year before. This is a guy with some speed and at this position, that is super valuable, and if he can even take another step forward, like we've seen from Paul Goldschmidt in his career, I think there is huge upside. I think Cody Bellinger could very well be the next Paul Goldschmidt oh, for fans. I like it. Okay, okay. Uh, good stuff. I got one more question for Scott before I let him go. Scott, what's your favorite app to buy sports, concerts, comedy, and theater tickets? I believe that correct answer, as somebody who listens to this podcast, is SeatGeek. Correct. I do have another fantasy yeah. baseball question for you after I tell you about SeatGeek. And the promo code to get 20 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase, of course, is Fantasy. Fantasy, 20 bucks off your – that's a great offer, by the way. 20 bucks off your first purchase. Look, getting tickets online can be very complicated. There are hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability. It's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats that you want for a price you're willing to pay. You know, guys, there's nothing like being there in person. SeatGeek's going to get you closer to the action for a great value. And I know our listeners have used SeatGeek. I get emails. I get tweets. Thanks so much for the code. We had a great time. We used SeatGeek to get to this game, to get to this concert. I bought my wife tickets with this. I bought my husband tickets to this game, whatever it was. Use SeatGeek and get there. Every purchase is fully guaranteed. And again, it's not just sports. It's concerts, comedy, and theater as well. Uh, the code is fantasy. So download the SeatGeek app and use the code fantasy. That is $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase with the code fantasy. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Scott, is Jesus Aguilar, uh, Aguilar a stud? I think so. But I came out and said that toward the end of the first half, and then his second half was pretty dreadful. But let's consider why I said that. It wasn't just because he happened to have great numbers at the end of the first half. It's because he had great numbers supported by a great hitter profile, and that was true even in the second half. He... He uh he has both a high line drive rate and a high fly ball weight, which lends 
rate, which lends itself to hitting for for both uh, for both power and average. Scott, and, you've been uh, hanging out with the babies too much. Yeah, can't talk. Can't get it out. <laughs> he hits the ball very hard. He he's kind of predisposed to having a high BABIP, and you know doesn't strike out a ton. Like there's nothing really bad in his hitter profile, and it's mostly all very good. So I. You know, the full season line may be more indicative than the first season line, but it's also than the first half line, but it's also more indicative than the second half line. All right, Scott, get the hell out, get the hell out of here, sir. Yeah, before I trip up over my son. <laughs> that was gross. All right, hopefully you guys do a better job. See you later. All right, that's Scott White for the final time. It's me and Chris. Na, gonna... na, 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 na. Yeah, thank you, Chris. It's Chris and I are going to finish the show now. Bloop. Just bye, Scott. And um, all right, what what do you think about the last? Uh, the last four guys. So after Aguilar, it's Encarnacion, Carlos Santana, Jerickson Profar, and Joey Gallo. Noticeably absent, Max Muncy, that funky Muncy. Uh, Encarnacion, Santana, Profar, and Gallo. You could take those four guys, actually throw in Jesus Aguilar, take probably the next 27 guys at the position. Throw them in a hat. It's going to have to be a big hat. Some of these guys are hefty. And you just pluck them out, and that's that's who's going to be the number eight first baseman. Best chance to be a star, Encarnacion, Santana, Profar, or Gallo, or Muncie? I, I'll do a ranked preference vote and go with Muncie, Gallo, Encarnacion. Yeah, I'd go Muncie one too. The thing about Muncie is that he slugged five twenty nine against lefties. It's not he doesn't need to sit against lefties. That was what was so curious about um Dave Roberts' he, decision. He, he's just he's a fascinating test case this year because he really had no track record whatsoever. And it's it's a more extreme version of Matt Carpenter where if people buy into what he did last year, he should probably be like a fifth round pick. Yeah, uh, I I tend to not buy into um one year wonders. So let me see where I know I drafted him in the I know I drafted Max Muncie in the draft that we did a few weeks ago. So let me just take a look at the draft results. And because and, and this is you know we we saw it with uh Justin Smoke a couple of years ago or or Justin Bohr going into last year, both Justin Smoke and Justin Bohr. Justin Smoke and Bohr. Um all of the batted ball data and all of the things that we look at as quote unquote talent metrics, uh, that, you know, these things that we think, you know, they get us further removed from the outcomes and they, they get us closer to the process and the things, the inputs that the players are putting in themselves and these things that they have more control over. And we look at them and say, well, look, the, the batted ball data backs it up. Um, those things fluctuate as well. Now they may fluctuate. They're, they're more talent based than home runs and RBI and, and runs, but they're still, you can still just get hot like that. That the concept of getting hot hasn't gone away. Uh, even though we might sometimes think about it. And I, you know, we saw it with Hazers Aguilar this year as well. Um, all the metrics pointed out that what he did in the first half was sustainable. It's just, he was hot. He right. played over his head and that right. can happen. And that's, that's the question with Max Muncie is did he play over his head in 2018? Yeah. Man, I don't know what the answer is, Adam. Well, I mean, look, I'm not going to be very helpful. Whit Merrifield ended up being one of the best draft picks last year. I took, do you sure. think Max Muncie is a top 100 player? I, 
off the top of my head, that sounds right. Yes, I would take him within the top 100. Well, I took him 100th overall. Well, then I guess I wouldn't take him in the top 100, Adam. <laughs> All right, so uh, I was happy to get him there, but I, I that was round nine in a 12-team league. I, I don't think I'd take him in, like, round seven. Uh, but uh, Well, we were talking about how bad the outfield crop is uh, starting in that, like, sixth-round range. Maybe I would reach for Max Muncie in, like, the eighth or ninth round and just maybe lock in some upside. Right, well, that's where I took him in the ninth round. So Yeah. All right, uh, for more, check out the website, cbssports.com slash fantasy. Let's read some emails to finish the show. Uh, this comes from Aaron from a city south of the North Pole. A lot of options there. Um, Caracas, Venezuela. Is Chris on? Dear existential malaise, anticipation research parties, and bubble to the surface of baseball discourse. These are all things said on the podcast. <laughs> all right. A nerdy show. Who, who said them? I, I would love. I don't know. I would love to know who said those. I only know what like one or two of those 13 words means. And they're two and the. <laughs> um, 14 team head to head categories, OBP league, keep five. $260 budget. Chris Sale for 36. Kluber for 32. Snell for 11. Corbin for 11. Lindor for 21. Turner 13. Mondesi 11. Donaldson 11. Who are the obvious ones? Then we'll go through the rest. Snell, Corbin, and Lindor are obvious. And Turner. That's, I assume that's Trey Turner. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It might not be. Justin Turner for 13, no. Trey Turner for 13, yes. Yeah. So that leaves so us let's with, assume uh, it's Trey. That leaves us with one spot for Sale at 36, Kluber at 32, Adalberto Mondesi at 11, and Donaldson at 11. I don't, I think it's gotta be Sale, actually. And, and my first thought was just throw Sale and Kluber out because you've already got Snell and Corbin, but I just don't like Mondesi and Donaldson at those values at all. All right, I will uh, read a few more emails here. Here's one. Ed from PDX. Is that our Portland? Name? Oh, maybe. I don't know. All right, Ed says, Dear Adam, 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 and Adam. I don't want to answer this question. I want Chris to answer it. I play in a mini-dynasty keeper league where we keep five players year to year without any draft considerations or impact. In other words, each team keeps five players, then we start the draft, with whoever's left in the pool. I need to choose between Xander Bogarts and Mike Clevenger. It's a head-to-head categories league, uh, OPS, and batting average against pitchers is used, and quality starts instead of wins. So, Clevenger or Bogarts. His other keepers are all hitters. Acuna, Albies, Betts, and Jose Ramirez. I... First of all, I'm not 100% sure that it should be Bogarts versus Clevenger and not Albies versus Clevenger. Um, having said that, I think I would take Bogarts over Clevenger and Albies over Clevenger. I got to read. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Here's an email from Peter from Williamsburg. The subject line is, boy, Chris Towers with an exclamation hey! point. All in caps and an exclamation point. Oh, yeah. This was, this was fun. And he says, awesome stuff, Chris. And with a link to Bill James saying that all players are replaceable. I guess he's crediting yeah. you for that line of thought. Uh, no, you didn't see what happened. 
No. This was a really weird thing that happened to me last week while I was out of town. So uh Bill James is one of my I, I don't think it would be any surprise to anyone to know that Bill James is one of my baseball idols. Oh, uh, you're in the story. <laughs> yes. Uh wow. I got into a Twitter argument with Bill James. And um that Twitter argument was about he made some flippant comment about Scott Boris said that teams tanking was bad for baseball and Bill James responded with what about players who are paid more than they're worth? Uh, which I thought was a dumb thing to say. So I said, what about players who are paid less for what, than what they're worth? And he said, I weep for them or my heart bleeds for them or well, something. Chris Tower. Okay. All right. Here's an NBC sports, uh, story. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Chris Towers of CBS sports replied, what about the players who are drastically underpaid for most of their careers slash bribes? James snarkily responded, my heart bleeds for them. Towers and James went back and forth for a bit, and various other... Oh, wow, what a surprise there. Various other people from Twitter got involved. In one of James's replies, he wrote, If the players all retired tomorrow, we would replace them. The game would go on. In three years, it would make no difference whatsoever. The players are not the game any more than the beer vendors are. Yeah, he he was really on a quite the, a tirade. The Red Sox publicly rebuked him. The MLB Players Association publicly rebuked him. It was It was bizarre. You're in an NBC in- Sports article. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, and that happened. Like, I was away from my phone for the first time ever. <laughs> yeah, when are the you away from your phone? The entire day after that. <laughs> wow. So that was a strange thing to come back to. Yeah, I I mean, you know, I understand what he's saying, I guess, but I really don't believe in it. I don't believe in what he's saying. Like, it's such a cold-hearted way of looking at baseball. People don't want to hear that stuff. Sorry. And it's just like... <sighs> It really stinks that like a lot of people think that sabermetrically inclined baseball and sports writers in general all view players as replaceable and not humans and all this stuff. And it's like, why'd you have to say it, Bill? Because now everybody's going to think it's true and it's not. And it's not true for Bill James. If you read his books, he loves baseball. He loves the individual personalities involved. But like he works in a front office. So, of course, he thinks players are overpaid. All right, last email is from John from the Need More Than One Podcast a Week fan movement. <laughs> oh, bad news for you, John, and um, everyone else. No podcast next week for Thanksgiving. We'll what? Be, we'll be back after that. Unacceptable, Adam. Dear Wainwright, Shebler, and Woodward. Uh, Bob's. Adam, Scott, and Chris. <laughs> I'm in it. Did you know that? No. Okay. I'm in an AL I, I only. Figured it out. Yeah. I'm in an AL only points league in the Pacific Northwest that overvalues Mariners due to their locality. Um, with the rumor that the team is going into full rebuild, which destinations would most help and which would most hurt the fantasy value of the following players if traded? Hoping I can gain an edge on my opponents if they over or underbid for former Mariners on new teams. And then he gives us Mitch Hanniger, James Paxson, Edwin Diaz, and Gene Segura. Okay, that is an impossible question to answer. It is worth noting it does not sound like Hanniger and Diaz will be part of whatever rebuild occurs. It does sound like the team views them as building blocks. I would not necessarily wait, agree wait, that a closer wait, and a wait, 28-year-old. Wait, wait. You con- I think you accidentally contradicted yourself. You're saying Hanniger and Diaz will be part of the rebuild. Will not be part of the fire sale. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they view the closer and the 28-year-old coming off his first good season uh, as Building blocks, I don't necessarily agree, but it sounds like they're staying. So <laughs> note that. Um, yeah, Paxson, 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 I think, Paxson's, is getting moved. 
Yeah, and he's been linked to the Braves most strongly from what I've seen, and that would be a fine landing spot. Uh, I don't think SunTrust has turned out to be the hitting haven that we feared it would be unless Julio Tehran is pitching. He has also obviously been linked to the Yankees and not necessarily the best landing spot ever in terms of the home park he plays in, but you know, that that's an opportunity where he could win 18 games. Yeah, I wouldn't be too afraid of any ballpark for him. Um, He's very good. (laughs) And so it, you're looking at like, well, maybe he goes to the Yankees and puts up a 330 ERA. You're still very excited about drafting James Paxton. The question for him is whether he can stay healthy for the full season. Uh, you know what, though? Maybe I'm going to change my tune. I didn't notice this. Both, two years in a row, his road ERA is a run, at least a run higher than his home ERA. Uh, it yeah. was 366 in 2017, and it was not quite a run. It was almost a full run. 424, full run higher than home. Um, 424 last year. So maybe he does benefit from that home ballpark. I, I do think he's an ace when he's healthy. But that's something to consider, I guess. Maybe he's just. Nah, it doesn't worry home. me that much. I, 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 you know, if he has a three-four ERA as a Yankee, he'll still get to pitch half his games away from Yankee Stadium. Um, yeah, I just, I, I don't like the AL East because they're just, yeah, there's, there's one, pitch. there's one road park, there's one pitcher's park, and there are a lot of good lineups. Well, there were well, a lot of good lineups. Yeah, if you pitch for the Yankees, there's they're not that many <laughs> anymore. Yeah, that's the thing. You remove the Yankees from the equation, and there's one good lineup in yeah, that, that division right now. That's true. And they also play in the worst park. Or the worst park for pitchers. The the other team that plays in a really yeah. tough park, Baltimore, they might have like one major league caliber player next well, year. Well, the the Toronto's a tough park too. Yeah, it, it's not it's not one that you like avoid the way you do Fenway necessarily really? or Yankee Stadium. I don't think so. Oh, I thought it was. I mean, you don't avoid it be, because the team isn't as good. But if the Red Sox played in well, if if a league average team played in Toronto. I think you give him a little bump, but it's not, it, I'm not worried about James Paxton having to pitch at the Rogers Center, especially with the team that they're, that he's going to be facing. Sure. Alright, that's it for today's show, and that's it for next week, next week's show. We'll talk to you in two weeks, so have a, a thrilling Thanksgiving. Hey, that Thanks. was, yeah, alliteration. Nobody ever does that with Thanksgiving. Have a thrilling Thanksgiving, everybody. We're thankful that you're listening. We appreciate it. For Chris and Scott, I'm Adam. See you in two weeks.